0: Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring crazy ideas and the even crazier people who are making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And previously on the show, we met some startups building technology for the small satellite market. And when we explored those businesses, one company kept popping up, and that was Rocket Lab a company which has built a rocket launch facility on the east coast of New Zealand. And that's pretty unique because there actually aren't that many places around the world that you can launch rockets that can reach space, let alone one that's based in the Southern Hemisphere, and that can launch up to 120 times per year. So join us in this episode as we meet the founder of Rocket Lab to find out why they had to build their own launch facility in their quest to make it easier and cheaper for businesses to reach space.
1: I've always been interested in space as long as I can remember. So, um, you know, it was probably, um, you know, my father taking me outside and actually showing me a satellite in the sky. Um, and, uh, and, you know, looking at looking at this thing that man had put up there, this little star whizzing across the sky, and then kind of, you know, as, as, a, as a as a young kid, starting to ask the big questions, well, you know, what are all these other stars? The sun, do they have planets? Oh, they have, probably have planets. Or there people on those planets? Maybe. Um, so, for me, it was, you know, I don't know what age it was, but very, very young um, as, you know, it's always just been such a fascinating thing. And, and uh, you know, look, people, people fully understand, you know, where they live, you know, what city they live in and what country they live in. But actually, we, we live in a solar system and a universe. It's, it's, you know, for me, it's always just been fascinating.
0: This is Peter Beck, the CEO and founder of New Zealand-based Rocket Lab, a company building launch vehicles for small satellites.
1: The mission of Rocket Lab is, is to democratise access to space. So, um, the, the small satellite industry is is growing at a, at an exponential rate, uh, and we see large geosynchronous platforms uh, disaggregating into a number of small satellites. But the problem is is launch, uh, launch cost, but more importantly, launch frequency. And uh, we saw this um, you know about four years ago that. That really that the key to enabling the small satellite revolution was launch frequency so um, what rocket lab is really about is, uh, is is creating regular and reliable access to space to uh, to enable some um, uh, small satellite industry to, to really grow and do the amazing things that it that
0: it's predicted to do Music Now, if the mission of Rocket Lab sounds a little familiar, that's because we mentioned them in one of our previous episodes looking at new space. Rocket Lab is aggressively chasing the launch market for small satellites, and they're a couple of years ahead of companies like Gilmore Space Technologies and also Virgin Orbit. Rocket Lab has already launched a few rockets and deployed four satellites, and after a successful launch of their still-testing rocket at the start of this year, they've moved into commercial operations, and that means they'll be looking to launch an awful lot of rockets.
1: The, the the goal of the company from day one was to achieve a high launch frequency, and we had to do a number of innovative things. Obviously, there's some technology which we can talk about later, but uh, one of the biggest constraints was the launch site, and all the launch sites in America are all federal or government owned. So we needed to uh, we needed to find a way um, of uh, of you know creating the world's first private orbital launch range, and um, you know. If you look at America, there's a lot goes on there. There's a lot of shipping traffic and there's a lot of um, aircraft traffic. So it's very difficult to achieve both launch frequency, but also launch azimuth, so the direction that you need to put stuff on an orbit. So we we sort of stood back and looked at the problem, and said, well, um, how can we solve that problem? And uh, ultimately, we had to go to a different country to solve that, and uh, that was that was New Zealand. You know, when you're talking about Launching stuff into space, a small island nation in the middle of nowhere is exactly what you need. And that's what we had. You know, after we completed uh, all of the, the regulatory processes, um, the launch site is licensed to launch every 72 hours.
0: That, that, that's an incredible frequency. There's probably no other launch site on Earth that could do that many launches.
1: No, that, that's that's true. Yeah, no, and and it's, you know, it's the only private orbital launch site um, operational in the world today. And uh it, it was fundamental to, to the whole vision of the company, which was to, you know, provide access. And um, you know, every seventy two hours sounds like a lot, but when you talk about air travel, you know, commercial air travel, it, it's it's very infrequent. But um, you know, for the space industry that that that's a lot. And, you know, when you're looking at constellations of, you know, tens, if not hundreds, of satellites, then that's that's the kind of frequency you need to be able to service the infrastructure.
0: As you heard when we spoke with Adam Gilmore, a lot of the rockets being built for small satellites are only designed to carry a very tiny payload. Gilmore is designing his rockets to carry payloads of up to 400 kilograms, and Rocket Labs is even smaller, with a maximum payload of around 225 kilograms. And Peter says that the need to provide rockets to carry these nanosatellites was very obvious even back in 2006 when he founded the company.
1: I started the company over 10 years ago. And to me, um, at the time of starting Rooker Lab, it was very, very obvious which way the space industry was gonna go. Um, if you look at Moore's law and, more and, and how it applies to electronics, um, it, it's, it's very obvious that that's going to apply itself to satellites, given that satellites are largely electronics. So, um, you know, satellites were, were, were going to shrink and um, there was, there's was always going to be a need for increased access to space. So if you put those two things together, it's kind of an obvious proposition that uh, a launch vehicle for small satellites launched frequently is is an obvious, you know, requirement in the market, and um, you know we we saw that quite some time ago, and you know, as a result, we've, we've been able to to get uh, to market first with with a vehicle that uh, meets that meets, meets that mesh.
0: Were you aware of the need of like having to build your own facility, et etc, when you first started?
1: Uh, so, some of it is obviously learned along the way, of course, but um, you know we, we really only started the electron program um, in Vega uh, four years ago, and um, you know it, it was it was very obvious that very quickly that um, you know that that, it, that the launch was a massive constraint, and and you know the romance of building the rocket is is always alluring, and that's where people kind of start. But for us, you'd have to break it up into three different things. You know, one is obviously the technology. Um, that's a third of this third of the magnitude of the project, and then second is reg, regulation or regulatory is be the second, you know, magnitude of the project, and then our third is infrastructure, because you know, building a launch site is, you know, if anybody's thinking about it, I wouldn't, I don't recommend it. It's a, it's a mammoth undertaking. Um, you know, we had to upgrade internet backhauls to entire townships and put tracking stations on the remote islands in the Pacific and. You know, build lots of roads and, and all the kinds of things that you wouldn't normally associate with um, with the space industry.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the technology behind your rockets. Space is always seen as this like really expensive business to get into, but with new technology, three D printing, etc., the costs can be reduced. How are you utilizing uh, you know new technology in your rockets to make sure that you can access space on the cheap?
1: So I mean, we we started the whole project with two requirements, and that was launch at least once a week and uh, launch affordably. And those two requirements drove everything we did. So when it came to things like uh, rocket propulsion, you know, how can we build rocket engines at a at a much reduced cost and a and a much reduced you know much increased frequency? You know, certain certain pieces of of technology really stood out, and one of them was obviously 3D printing or additive additive manufacturing. And we started. Uh, experimenting with that when you know most people were making bottle openers, um, so you know it was really uh, it was really about identifying the, the the breakthrough technologies that were going to have you know the, the most disruptive effect and backing them and uh, and really pushing hard. And you know um, Ernest Rutherford had a famous saying, you know we have have no money, so we have to think. And uh, you know that's um, you know that, that that kind of formed the basis. And you see the engines named Rutherford. Um, it wasn't, you know, that we were we completely shot short of capital because we have, you know, very uh, very good investors but um, certainly not the capital that a government would uh, have to, to throw into a project like this.
0: Unlike Gilmore Space, which is using a hybrid rocket engine, Rocket Lab uses a liquid mixture containing a mix of liquid oxygen and RP-1, which is a highly reformed type of kerosene and is a similar sort of fuel to what SpaceX use on the Falcons. And given that SpaceX is leading the charge when it comes to space exploration, I asked Peter what he thought of Elon Musk's plans to send people to Mars.
1: Oh, I think it's inspiring for everybody. Um, you know, for us, um, what we're more focused on, obviously, is, and where we think we can have a greater impact than human spaceflight, is to, uh, you know, to actually build infrastructure on orbit that uh, that, that affects everybody um, down on Earth on a daily basis. Um, you know, going to Mars is an incredibly noble and exciting thing, and, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to get there, um, get there with, with Elon in front. But, um, you know, we're we're more focused on how we can improve everybody's life on on Earth, um, daily life, by building infrastructure on orbit Um, that that can can really have a massive effect.
0: Would you want to go, like if Elon called you up and said, hey, do you want to come to Mars? (laughs) Would you go?
1: No. No, no. Certainly not. No, no. I think I can have a better impact on, on this planet.
0: And we'll have more of our interview with Rocket Lab founder, Peter Beck, right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot. I'm Christopher Lawson and in this episode we're speaking with the founder and CEO of Rocket Lab, Peter Beck. Now one of the questions which always comes up whenever anybody speaks about space is the cost. Space is expensive, even if you're doing it on the cheap. So I wanted to know how you actually fund a space program if you're a private company.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's like uh, it's like you know, building your team. You know, building your investors group is exactly like building building your team and your company is who you hire. So you need to you need to build and find great people. And for us, uh, it wasn't just about the money; it was about who are great partners for this for this project because you know, the project is very ambitious. And you know, for us, really, tier one Silicon Valley venture capital was the place to go. And you know, we both um, you know a really great. Board and a great series of investors. We have Kozla Ventures, we have uh, Bessimer, uh Venture Partners, um, Data Collective, and uh, Lockheed Martin as investors. So a very you know a very very strong and powerhouse group of folks who generally only look at. Um, if you talk about the Silicon Valley guys, they they only. You know, the tier ones are interested in the next Googles and the next Facebooks. They're, they're the guys that, um, that really go after the big opportunities and, you know, have to have those guys as part of the company is, is really important.
0: Rocket Lab has raised around 75 million US dollars, and all that investment has enabled them to scale their team rapidly. Peter told me that Rocket Lab hires around four to five people each week, and now have around 250 people working for them across their offices in the US and New Zealand. And all of those people will help the company scale their launch frequency.
1: So, the plan at the moment uh, for this year is to get to a one a month cadence. Um, and if we can achieve that, then, uh, you know, that's uh, that, that's a fair way uh, to what most countries can do. Um, and then the following year, uh, we'll go every two weeks, which will see us um, you know, launching the most amount of stuff, um, most amount of spacecraft uh, to orbit than, than, than anybody
0: else. The New Zealand government has approved up to 120 launches per year, which is a huge amount. And unlike SpaceX, Rocket Lab is planning to just throw away all those rockets after every launch. But given how spectacular it was to watch the two Falcon rockets landing simultaneously, I had to ask Peter what he thought of reusability.
1: Well, when when your stage is you know, the, the height of a skyscraper and tens of millions of dollars, uh, it really makes Great sense, you know. It's it's exactly what you should do. When your stage is much much smaller and uh, and and not worth as much, then the the pure pure kind of financial um, logistics, you know, they don't they don't close. Um, you know, it, it, if you try and recover the stage, you end up putting so much mass in the stage that you 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 know you degrade your ability to put payload on orbit pretty pretty um pretty dramatically, but also just the cost of refurbishment. Um, you know the way we've gone about designing and building the stages. Uh, it's it's more cost effective for us to um, to just um, rebuild them rather than than uh, refurbish them.
0: What what are the costs like? Obviously, this is cheaper, and this is one of the things that you you were talking about. Is that this is cheaper than ride sharing on a, a SpaceX rocket, etc. What are the sort of like the cost differences in terms of launch?
1: One of the, one of the, the the biggest issues with small satellites is is the ride share uh, market. You know, rideshare is fantastic if you've got a technology demonstrator, or you know, you just want to get one spacecraft on orbit, and um, and and kind of, um, you know, that that's all you really need to do. But if you're trying to build a commercial constellation where you want control over the schedule, control over the orbit. Rideshare just fails really, really badly, and um, you know most of the, the customers come to us because we can give them some certainty about you know well this is the orbit you're going to it's exactly the orbit you want and this is the time frame it's exactly the time frame you want and you know you're in charge of this vehicle rather than kind of being 2nd class passengers. So so that really has the you know the, the the biggest impact and and you know you you can have all of that for the same price as you know, being strapped onto the side of, of, of some some foreign rocket on a bumpy ride, you get the same kind of um, you know, for the same price, you get uh, you get the Cadillac. <laughs>
0: the top of the show, Peter spoke about this childhood fascination with space, which I think is something that actually many people have in common. I can remember building rockets as a kid and then going off somewhere with my dad to find a place where we could launch them. But for Peter, that fascination runs at another level. He was so captivated by space that he actually got into the industry and then built a rocket company. So I asked Peter what he actually loves about space.
1: Oh, it's definitely, It's, it's definitely... That fascination, um, from an engineering perspective, I love it because it's so hard. Um, you know, I like things that are hard. Um, and, uh, you know, but what really gets me up in the morning is that if we're successful in what we're trying to achieve here, we're going to have a really big impact to, to a large por- portion of people on the planet. And, you know, some of our customers have really exciting projects, you know, internet from space where everybody, everybody in the entire world gets access to the internet. And... Um, just, just, so many, so many wonderful things. Better climate change understanding, better weather predictions. Um, all these things can can kind of occur if we uh, if, if we can simply have better access to space. So that, that's that's what really inspires me.
0: If you're looking ahead, uh, ten years, fifteen years, what does Rocket Lab look like?
1: Gosh, that's a long time frame. Uh, we, we we tend and you know an afternoon is a lot happens in an afternoon here, let alone ten years. Um, well, I mean, you know, our primary mission is, is to enable um, enable the building of, of this critical infrastructure um, on orbit, and, um, you know, I think the world, even five years' time, if we're successful, will look very, very different, let alone 10 years. I think in, in 10 years' time, um, you know, if, if we've succeeded in, in, in our mission, then, um, you know, life for everybody on Earth is a little bit better.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Moonshot. If you love what we're doing, then send us an email to moonshot at lawson.media. And please make sure that you share the show with your friends. It's really the best way of helping us grow our audience. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media, and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Andrew Millist designed our amazing cover artwork and Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme track. You can find out more about the show by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod or head across to our website moonshot.audio. Join us again next time as we explore more ideas that are changing our future.